Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Interview with an Avatar. My name is Tyler. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at CrypticGhost2. Uh, if, you're not, if you're new to this podcast, it is a podcast where we talk about uh, the people behind the avatars that you might interact with on Twitter. Um, and today I have a very special guest. Uh, he is a writer for Fansided DFW. Um, he is also a pitmaster. His name is Mr. Reed Hansen. How are you doing today, man? Not too bad. I can't complain. Uh, where can we find you at uh, on Twitter and and your other work like I just like I just explained? Yeah, you can find my work at sportdfw.com. Um, we handle all of Dallas-based professional sports. Um, we dabble in college sports, but our bread and butter is Dallas Cowboys. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Reed R E I D D Hanson H A N S O N. So you, at Friday night, you do have a good week of work and uh, and whatnot. Everything, everything's all good. Can't complain. <laughs> yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is uh, Mr. Reed Hansen? <laughs> well, there's not much to tell. Um, I'm about as deep as a bird bath. Uh, I write sports. I cook meats. I'm a beer and whiskey aficionado. I got a wife, two kids, a big dog, and I like to travel. That's me in a nutshell. Uh, and so you, you said you like to travel, you have yeah. many travels. Uh, you've lived a lot of places from what I've seen you you post on Twitter and you know the interactions that we have, we've had. Tell us a little bit about each step of the way of your journey, like where you've lived and, and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, well, I grew up traveling a lot. Uh, my father was a uh, railroad executive. So essentially every two years we moved. Um, so... For not being in the military, I lived a very military-like life. Yeah. Um, lived in Missouri three times, lived in Texas three times, uh, Tennessee, Kansas, um, went to preparatory boarding school in Wisconsin, college in Minnesota, um, and then as an adult, moved back down to Texas, lived in El Paso, uh, and then Germany, and, and then now I'm back in the States in North Carolina. So it's it, you've you basically experienced almost every culture besides like the upper like northwest side of the country you know like besides like Washington area you pretty much covered the entire you know United States right yeah I, <laughs> I have not lived there I I wouldn't mind it I'm adverse to rain and clouds and things like that I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck on the sun uh, but I do go up there and visit we've got family out there in the Pacific okay. Northwest uh, so I go to Portland and Seattle area quite a bit I've even got family in Alaska that um, visited once. Um, but yeah, I've kind of been everywhere except for the New England area. Um, oh, yeah. That's on my bucket list. I've, that's, I haven't gotten past Philly. So do, do you have like a New England area? Do you have like a specific place like Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, like where you want to see like Boston and stuff like that? For sure, man. Um, I really wanted to go to Maine. Um, my wife and I were thinking of doing that for our anniversary, um, going up there and exploring in September. It's supposed to be pretty. Yeah. like lobster they've got a great brewery up there i wanted to go to um but we're adjusting now where i think we're going to do the bourbon trail um in kentucky instead uh, can't complain about that right no it's a win-win situation so. so so where exactly is it so the bourbon trail is it like and i'm if i'm thinking correctly like that starts down by like the just north of nashville does it not like the distillery that's down there and then up and around right yeah it, it creeps up from from the border to the border. Um, they've got it divided up into sections and everything as far as official tours go. So I was gonna go rogue the first day and then we're gonna get on an official tour where they drive us around the second day. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically bourbon has to be in Kentucky, brewed with the limestone. Um, yeah, yeah it, so it's all gonna be in the same little region, the same little area. That's nice. So uh, out of all of your places that you've been, what is your favorite place that you have lived? I, it was definitely Germany, yeah. and it, it wasn't just because because our village was cool or anything like that. It's because we travel so much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's centrally located in Europe, right? So every every month we're about an hour away from uh, Frankfurt. So every month we're flying to a new place. And granted, we've got little kids. My son was born in Germany, so we were traveling with an infant and a four year old. Mm -hmm. um, but every month we would go on this big trip to different places. And even when we stayed local, we would go to festivals and different events and all that. Uh, 
we completely exhausted ourselves and we spent entirely too much money. Any financial advisor would be pissed at us because um, it's all horrible investments. Um, but yeah, I love Germany because of all the different cultures you could experience and places you could go and, and how disconnected you could be from all the crap that's going on in the United States. Yeah. Um, just our little family unit bouncing around and, you know, almost all of our travels are like really food driven, um, like 90% food and beer driven for me. Yeah. So I research the crap out of everywhere I go and, and I hit, you know, like the local markets, I'll go find a special dive where there's no tourists because tourists are freaking awful. No matter where you go yeah. <laughs> or where they're from, tourists suck. So find the local joints and then even hit up some fancy places at night or something like that. So, and fill in so the gaps you, with lots of booze. So you prefer like the German dark beer over any, anything that we do here in America? No, I, I, I prefer Belgian beer has my heart. Um, so I do like German beer. That's I, I consider German beer and British ales like session beers because they're going to be low ABV. Um, they're well done, good ingredients. Um, but they're relatively benign as far as flavor. Like they're not going to knock you out. You're not going to get sick of it. You know, something you can drink a lot of. You can piss away the night and mm -hmm. you're going to be fine for it. Whereas the Belgian beer is going to be the high ABV. It's going to be, you know, seven to nine to 10 percent. Um, so that'll knock you in your butt if you treat it the same way as you treat any other stuff. Yeah. So, uh, what, what is like, what is the cultural, is there like a cultural shock moving from the U S to Germany, seeing all those different cultures and then moving back to the U S. So yeah, for sure. Going over there. Yeah. Um, cause I was over there for five years. Um, and yeah, we always dropped into a new place every time. The benefit is, um, I look or my whole family looks like we're we're German. So as long as we don't open our mouths, we can totally blend in everywhere. And in through most of Europe, or through most of Europe, we can get away with kind of blending in, you know, we know how to not look like tourists. Yeah. Um, but we always eventually blow it as soon as you know, kids start talking and everything like that. Um, but coming back, it's, it's old hat, they say, you know, it's just, it's like you never left, you know, we were gone for a long time, we all came back and just slipped into the routine. It was pretty easy to transition back. So when you were in the United States, I uh, moved back to the United States part, what was your, what was your favorite culture that you lived in? Cause like the upper Midwest that like, you know, your boarding school in Wisconsin is completely different from like El Paso, Texas. Oh, like, right. It, it's like, you know, it's night and day. So what, what would be like your favorite or like even North Carolina is completely different now too. Like what yeah. would be your favorite cultural that, event that you had in the United States? Um, uh, okay. So I, it might be my ADD. I don't know, but I get kind of sick of being around the same culture all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's ingrained in me. Or maybe it's when we were moving around all the time growing up, but like just being, even if it's my favorite culture, I don't want to be sitting in it at all times. Like I need diversity in my life. I need to get out and see other things. So I don't know if I can pick one thing, one area that I really liked, you know, in the United States or something like that. I, I liked the South. I I served my time in the Midwest, man. I can't do it anymore. It was tough. Well, um, man, Midwest boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but I, I got the street cred too. I was up there in many winters. It was, it was rough. Um, so I like everything below the Mason Dixon line. I like the mountains, um, love the beach. Um, let, let me bounce around those two. That's the ideal kind of situation for me. So uh, I, I lived in North Carolina for three years uh, when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, we always went over to, I mean, besides like the coastal cities that we visited, uh, we always went over to Asheville, I think. It's yeah, Asheville yeah. in the, the uh, Nantahala River. Uh -huh. we, we always did. We always kayak. Have you ever kayaked in Nantahala? Have you ever done that kind of I stuff? I have not yet. No. Oh, yet. man. That, I mean, we went, in, we went in the middle of summer. Uh, it was like 90 degrees outside, but the water was still like 60 degrees. It was nuts. Yeah. Like because it's like the mountain runoff. <laughs> beats the, yeah. Beats the crap out of your legs when you fall off those kayaks, but. That's a lot of fun. I, that'd be something that I'd recommend that you do because that, that, that was, that was really fun. Definitely. Yeah. We're looking into, we're looking into that and, um, white rotter rafting. Um, we've basically done the tubing, you know, mm -hmm. where you just get drunk in the river and yeah. <laughs> we've done that. Uh, but yeah, we want to do the more adventurous stuff like you mentioned. And yeah, yeah. Asheville's, Asheville's a great town. It's, yeah. it's awfully hipster, but it's cool in its own right. Yeah, because my I had my aunt and uncle when I was, when I served they lived in, they lived just south of Charlotte in this little town called Tiga K, South Carolina, uh, so yeah. we would we would go there during the week on like long weekends and we would travel like we'd go up to Charlotte and do like Whiskey River that Dale Earnhardt Jr. owned and stuff like that huh? and then and we would like drive over to Asheville and stuff like that but um, 
So you said you're you're uh you're a beer and liquor aficionado. So yeah, I actually went out and got this bang mix tonight because I don't drink. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to try it. It's only it's only five percent alcohol, but it doesn't. There's there's no alcohol taste to it at all. It tastes literally like purple Skittles. <laughs> so I, I'm having a little drink for you tonight. So uh, right. tell us a little bit about uh, your collection. Um, in like I think you told me that like one time that you have like a dungeon, like a cellar full of right. just like full of like liquor. Right. Uh, so tell us how that accumulated over the years. And then uh, after that, your favorite beer and liquor and why? And then is there any specific meaning to that? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I lived about two hours away from the Belgian border. And I mentioned that that's my favorite, favorite beer is Belgian. So we'd make trips very often, sometimes by myself, um, just to pick up the beer because Germany does not like to import other countries' beers. They just like to sell their own. So even though it's right next door, even though the EU has open trade, Germany's very closed on their distribution channels when it comes to beer. Um, so you do have to road trip. Um, I loaded up on, um, well, thousands of bottles and then paid out of pocket then to ship it back to the United States in refrigerated cargo. Um, so it's, it was it was sent like with flowers, with the flower shipment. So when I went to the airport to pick it up here, when I got to the States, um, all the guys unloading the airplane and bringing the forklift over and loading my box truck that I rented, they're all like, this, this is a lot of flowers. I'm like, these aren't flowers, this is beer. They're like, Why are you shipping beer? I'm like, oh, that's a long story, man. It's good beer. It's, trust me, it's good beer. So yeah, it's the basement is, or cellar is almost 100% Belgian. I, I don't think I have anything other than that. Um, so it's it's going to be ale. It's it's uh, ale or spontaneously fermented. It's all bottle conditioned. So it's not like if you go down to the store and get a Budweiser. Yeah. You know, if you age that, it's just going to get shittier and shittier. And it already started pretty shitty. So, <laughs> so <laughs> whereas mine is a live beer, so it's dosed with with live yeast. So it's it's living and breathing in the bottle. Uh, most of them are um, corked, so they're like champagne bottles. Um, so they're all under pressure, so you can age them. Um, I've got about a third of them that are going to be Belgian triples and saisons, uh, which is kind of like a golden, golden appearance, and they're going to be pushing nine, ten percent. And then two thirds are spontaneously fermented beer, so it's beer that hasn't had sugars or yeast added to it. Um, what they do is it's, it's from the Peyotin land in Belgium, which is a very small area. They take the beer and boil it up and then they dump it out in the cool ship and they open up all the attic windows and they let all the little bugs come in from, from the, the air, the sky drops yeah. in. And that's what, that's what jazzes it. And then they take it and then they pour it into the big oak fodders and they age it. So for like one and two and three years, and then they pour it out and they mix it in the bottle, right? With the, the live yeast and conditioned and everything. So that's majority of what I have. So by that style, it's gonna take on sour characteristics. Um, it's gonna like saddle blanket, barnyard, kind of depends. <laughs> um, they're all a little different. Um, you can even get like, you know, slight vinegar or urine, um, <laughs> but, it, but it's a nice, it's a tasteful amount of urine. Um, that's gonna be the majority of the stuff that I have in the basement. So a lot of people, if I give it to them, they'll be taken back by, by the flavor. It's, it's a developed taste, but it'll, it'll age 30 years. So it's pretty special. And just one of those bottles over here in the States can run you 30, 40 bucks. And I've got hundreds of them. So when, so you, like when people come over you're, you, you basically have to like, it's like, Hey, let me try some of your Belgian, your Belgian ale. You're like, listen, there's this weird piss taste. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So like, what, what, what would you do? I mean, you said you have hundreds of them. Uh, so like, you're not going to run out anytime soon, but like, if you did like, so if you drank like one of like your favorite ones, like how are you going to go about getting them? Like, are you just going to buy it and import it or how do you go about that? Right. Well, some of them I can't get over here. So it's just going to get exhausted. Uh -huh. um, and not all of them are going to age 30 years. Like most of most beers, even if they're bottle conditioned, you know, you hit five years and it's just going to start getting worse. So I, I have timelines. I have a meticulously set timeline. Well, gotta gotta go drink two beers tonight, honey. Go, you know, for the for the good of the timeline. Um, some of them you can replace. You're paying through the teeth. 
Um, so I don't drink them frivolously. I, I plan each one out actually. <laughs> so I put them in deck, I bring them to the beer fridge and I have them ready and then methodically move through them. Um, and if it's a, if it's a more multiple beer night, then I'll have, you know, the Belgian one first, and then I'll go to the local craft beer after that, you know, just to give it the, the respect. But eventually my, my resources will be exhausted. I can't keep importing certain ones. And I hope that day is far away. So I, I, I would assume that like the heavier nights are playing around, you know, between September and January. Right. <laughs> yes. In most seasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as, I, as you said before, you like, you like to cook meats. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit how you got into a barbecue, smoking meats. And I believe you, you, you were in competitions, weren't you? Yeah. yeah so yeah. go ahead and tell us, tell us about that. Okay. Well, before, before I moved overseas, I started getting into barbecue. Um, Self-taught. Um, started with a big green egg when I was probably 25. I still have that egg and I still cook on that more than anything else. Um, highly recommend it. And I entered a local competition in El Paso and I won money for my ribs and that, that kind of set the hook. So then the next year I came back with a better battle plan, um, you know, color chart, timeline, stopwatches, everything was all, was all good to go. And I took grand champion of the local. So then I had to move up to professional KCBS competitions. So then I started doing that and I haven't won grand champion there but I've won money every single competition I've placed in different categories, which is, which is pretty good considering the level of competition you face. Yeah. So I do about one or two of those a year in Texas or New Mexico, um, different state championships and whatnot. Um, I, the most notable person I went against, um, Johnny Trigg, uh, he's pretty well known in the barbecue industry. He's the godfather of barbecue. Uh, I've battled him three times and I've beat him once. So, but I'm holding on to that one time. I'm, I tell everybody, yeah, I did okay. Johnny Trigg once. So it's, it's basically like an art format. Like, so you basically, you know, you, know, you said you, you won money. So if you upgraded from your green egg, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you probably have. Yeah. Uh, and then, so tell us about like the art form of being a, a pit master. Right. So Number one, I, so I did upgrade. I've got I've got a a, a big custom backwood smoker um, that I'll use when I have bigger cooks. Uh, it's harder to clean. The egg pretty much cleans itself. So when I'm just cooking for me or you know a few friends that come over, I'll just use the egg. But if I'm doing a big thing, then I'll bust out the big boy and use that. Um, it is it is an art form. Um, you need to cook it you need to cook it without overcooking it. And I think that is the biggest learning step that you take from an amateur barbecuer to more of a serious barbecuer or even pro. Um, you know, fall off the bone ribs aren't, isn't a good thing. You want to have it tender enough to bite through, you know, because if it falls off the bone, all you did is overcook it. You steam the crap out of it. It's the same mm -hmm. thing as you put in a crock pot, right? So, and you're losing, you're losing texture, you're losing flavor by doing that. So the same thing goes to each of the different meats. So like in a competition, you're doing brisket, you're doing the pork butt, you're doing the ribs and uh, chicken. So each one has to get cooked you know, to a different ideal temperature and your margin of error is, is paper thin. Um, and even like with the pork butt, the sneaky thing with the pork butt is to get the stuff that pulls good, that's at a different temperature than to cut up the, the loin. You know, the, you butcher yep. a lot of meat, you got the tenderloin running through there. Yep. So that, that's done at a different temperature. So you really have to buy two butts and cook one for the purposes of the pull and then the other one for the, the loin because in competitions, you're not allowed to separate them. So when you go out to eat with your family, yeah. you're like, oh, I, I ain't touching this place. Or you're like a super, are you like a judgmental person of the meat, the cuts of meat that you're eating? I am a horrible, <laughs> yeah, I'm horrible. So, so, <laughs> As long as you let me pick, my family knows I pick. I, I'll pick out the places. When I yeah. travel with other people, most of them know I will get you to the best place in the entire city if you just let me, you know, because I've always prided myself on that. Like back in Europe, I was amazing batting average. I'd find the most amazing places. Um, so, yeah, I don't, my family does not eat steak out because 
no yeah. one's going to make it as good as we know how to make it. Yeah. Um, same with barbecue. Well, okay. So I do try barbecue regionally, especially here in North Carolina, because this is my first time on the East Coast. Um, so I'm trying to take in all the different styles and flavors. Um, and if a friend's cooking it too, I'm happy to have it because you learn little things from the most unlikely of sources, right? You just taste like a funny little ingredient. And you're like, what the heck? Is that nutmeg? Son of a bitch. Nice job. I like that. And then, you know, you learn something. You might not like the way they cooked it or, or the excessive amount of salt or something like that, but mm -hmm. you always find something. I try to take that as my, as my, uh, my takeaway. So how does, how does uh, your East Coast, your North Carolina barbecue compared to the other barbecues that you've had? Because I mean, you're a meat, a meat aficionado. So now I can ask you, right. which, which, which kind of barbecue is the best? Well, I've always, it, it depends on what's an acquired taste. What, yeah, yeah, it depends on what cut you're doing. So Texas brisket, oh baby. Yeah. Um, the, the ribs, I like Memphis ribs. And then pork, I like it out here. I've always liked doing um, vinegar-based sauces for my pork. So coming out here, that's where a lot of people have that oh forget that vinegar that's disgusting well i've always liked it so that's always how i've done it so i came out here and i really like it in fact it's more understated out here than i used to pretend it was when i did it myself trying to impersonate them right so i've already learned certain elements like i did overkill oops so when i start doing competitions here which i haven't done yet um it's going to take it's going to take some learning i'm gonna to have to learn the local palate because west texas and new mexico i could put so much chili powder on my brisket it would burn a hole in somebody's mouth over here. So I need to adjust to the pallets locally. And that's going to take some time. Yeah. Isn't uh, so North Carolina, that's, isn't that like vinegar and mustard or something like that? Yeah. So South Carolina, South Carolina is the mustard, okay. which I'm fine with. It looks weird. It looks really weird, but it tastes fine. Um, and then, yeah, it, North Carolina is kind of divided. Um, there's the vinegar based and then mm -hmm. there's the vinegar ketchup based. Um, so I kind of like, the vinegar with the ketchup um but both of them are just fine and either way i don't really add extra sauce than what they toss it in i'm kind of anti-sauce on some on a lot of barbecue yeah i'm just going based off like i'm picturing like a grocery store like like the the kroger private selection thing and it's telling me what, what's in each one so i, I don't even know because we don't have like a special kind of barbecues here like we yeah. don't even really have any very many barbecue joints here i think we have like two or three so okay i'm, I'm just taking your opinion on it and i'm just like yeah yeah, I make ribs in my, in my, uh, you know, my air fryer. <laughs> so, that's awesome, though. Yeah, that's. Uh, I never, I never discourage. I'm a snob when I go out to eat, but I never discourage anybody from doing it themselves because it is a fantastic, fantastic experience. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a ritual almost. Just going through the process and everything. And I encourage everybody. Yeah, I, I always get pretty proud of myself, and I when my wife's like, "These ribs are good." I'm like, thank you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're you, like you said earlier, you're a writer for uh, Fanside DFW. Uh, how did how did that opportunity come about, um, and what led you to that opportunity? How long you've been doing it? Right. Well, I was doing the corporate America thing for quite a while, and I was starting to burn out, um, working bad hours, doing bad things. <laughs> it's just starting to lose. It felt like I was losing my soul. I'm pouring a beer here, by the way. Are you um, good? starting to lose my soul. Um, so I kind of had a wild hair and quit, quit the rat race and decided to do free writing for the Landry hat. And in the process, open up a gourmet food truck uh, with a business partner. So I took a pretty significant turn career-wise. Um, after about, it was a little less than a year writing for Landry hat. Um, the editorial director that oversaw Sport DFW contacted me and said, we lost our editor. We lost the whole team. Would you be interested in taking it over, um, you know, for a real position or you actually get some money? Uh, so I did that. And then I've been there ever since, uh, probably nine years at Sport DFW. Um, slowly built that up. And not too long after I started, um, Dan Rupert joined on. And uh, Dink Kearney and those two guys have been with me from the jump. Um, yeah, it's as much it's as much of theirs as it is mine. It's it's really cool having that crew. Um, and if they ever left, I probably would leave too. So you're you're like you're you're like the almost like the head honcho there. 
Uh, yeah, I'd be managing editor. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sweet. I didn't, I didn't know, like, I didn't know, like you were that far up on there. And I was just, I was just reading a couple of your articles. Um, and I, I really liked how you did the, 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 the five macho guys. For, yeah, for I was a little pandering, show. but yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, we'll get to this later about the Ridgeway and, and uh, Tyler Smith. I, that's, a, that was a pretty good part of that article. Yep. Yeah. That was, that was part of the takeaway from the draft is, okay. So I write, I write about 30 articles a month yeah. um, and I try to take both sides without being disingenuous, mm -hmm. um, which isn't always easy, but I try much like you're in a debate, you know, yep. you're in a debate club and you don't necessarily get to pick which side of this debate topic you're on. So that's kind of the angle I take. Like now I'm, now I'm the defense attorney for this side. Okay. Let's talk about this without being full of shit. And then let's talk about this. So you find the good and the bad. And what you do is you end up, instead of digging yourself into a hole on an issue, you kind of keep your mind a little more open accidentally. And you, you waver a little bit. So like with that five macho guys that you're referring to is that was a defining trait. Like, and then I look back and I see the moves that the Cowboys have done since the start of the off season. They cut, I don't want to say pansies, but we've always questioned Amari Cooper's uh, stick to you know? Yep. And the same with, with Lyle, he's not necessarily a grinder or hard worker. He's a big, tough guy, but he's not a mauler. Um, so I started seeing these little moves that the Cowboys were doing and they're cutting bait with these guys, bringing on a different bulldog mentality. And it was evident in all the draft picks. They're all, they drafted a team of assholes and, and, and hopefully it'll work out. I mean, that's fantastic. You, you need the right amount of assholes on a team yeah. to be oh, successful, yeah. right? No, none of that matters if you can't play the sport. Yeah. So yeah. there's a high level of risk with some of these guys um, that, that I'm holding on to. I, I question some of the moves, some of the risks that they took. Yeah. But, but if they pan out, then this is the perfect combination. So as the, as the editing manager, uh, so you see all the traffic that comes in. So basically your bread and butter is probably Dallas Cowboys 90% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. other. No. So do you, do you guys do like you, I don't know if you do. I seen you, you did some Maverick stuff. Uh, do you guys do like the local soccer team or anything? We have, I had a guy that did that. Um, the numbers are really low. Um, a lot of people that, that go to that are going to go directly to that site. Yeah. You know, just, just the market share is so small. And, and if you're going to do an article, you know, once a week, readers aren't going to keep coming to you. You have to really commit. Um, so I've had a writer um, a couple times, um, somebody that just focused on soccer and they built up a little following. Uh, mm -hmm. Wasn't good. Not enough to make me pull off of, off of Cowboys as the top focus. Yeah. Uh, we kind of follow readership without being completely one-sided because we do want to hit all four big sports. So with the Cowboys, what topic within the Cowboys uh, like trajectory do you find that most people click on if that's uh, even a thing right um oh that's a good question well people people click on bold statements mm -hmm. but pandering to that kind of sells your soul you you become <laughs> you become well, I'm not going to say his name, but like, like, like some of the more outrageous hot take kind of guys. Yeah. Um, so you want to, you want to cut loose of that. If you can hook people with a good title, making a definitive statement and then back it up with fantastic data, um, either, either film or analytics um, or preferably both, um, you can have a very successful article. And I try to blend both of those as often as I can. Sorry to, sorry to get off track because my Zoom popped up and said that I only have nine minutes left. So we're going to start a second session. Uh, but okay. so, so, sorry to get, to get off track there. Uh, but to go along with your, your, your kind of writing, um, and I've noticed that the way you post it on, on, uh, on Twitter and stuff like that, um, you have a unique kind of style. Like you said, that you, you do the, like the debate thing on both sides. But you offer more of like the play breakdown, but also throw out the like analytics side. Yeah. Um, of things. How has that uh, been effective to you 
And um, are you a believer that both can be true, but one may tell a story better than the other one? Oh yeah, true? yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, both should work together in harmony to tell the truth, the story that you're trying to tell. Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you need one uh, in order to effectively tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, Trevon Diggs. Everybody is very polarized on Trevon Diggs, right? Yep. Uh, he's either he's either the greatest ball hawk in the history of the game, or he's a chump who just gives up tons of yards, and that's why he's just getting the ball that often, right? So there's yep. you know he, there's no middle ground. Um, we can we look at those two sides argue, and the reason that they can't make any progress, the reason that they're locked without anything, is because they have, it's, it's an unlike fraction. You can't compare the interceptions, the value of the interceptions necessarily to the value of yards because there's no common denominator, mm-hmm. but analytics gives us the common denominator. So EPA expected points added can track every single play or does track every single play and attributes a point value to that play. So it's not even like saying an interception is worth this amount of EPA and yards are worth this amount because it's looking at the specific situation. So an interception on fourth and 10 to end a game is worth jack shit. An interception in the middle of the field uh, at the middle of the game return for 20 yards is worth a whole lot. So getting the exact numbers is important. You can't just generalize a value. So when you go and you compare the numbers of all the yards Diggs gave up versus all the interceptions he got, when you compare the values, you can see that Diggs had, let me look here, um, let's see, negative 0.143 EPA per play. No, negative is good when yep. you're a defender. Yep. Um, so, and negative 0.143 leads the league in secondary EPA. So, yeah, he's pretty good. We've, we found, we've made a common denominator. We made it so you're not arguing past each other. We've given value to every single freaking play, and he comes out as the best. You compare that to who's the best corner, uh, Jalen Ramsey. Yep. You compare that to Jalen Ramsey. He had 0.047 per play. So Diggs was about three times more profitable than Ramsey, the best corner. So do we come out of the saying that Diggs is the best cornerback in the NFL? No, I still think Ramsey is. I don't think Diggs is there. Why? Because I can watch the film. I can break that down. He does gamble. He does give up. We can't argue his effectiveness last season. His effectiveness was through the roof. And don't argue with me because it's it's right in front of us. We don't argue over who the passing leader is every year because yeah. we can look at it. So as long as so analytics really helps us convey that. As long as people are willing to listen, there's a backlash against analytics that they don't want to listen. They stick their fingers in their ears and they think it's all hokey pokey when it's really it's 100% based on 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 facts so yeah and you always you always see those people say like oh the analytics crews and shambles and stuff like that you're like no no man (laughs) we're not (laughs) right um so to move to uh all right guys we're back uh we had a little zoom malfunction there um so switching a little bit uh have you ever had like like an oh shit moment where like uh, at the time you thought you were like going to die, but looking back, you realize you may not have been as bad as you thought in that moment. I got to tell you, I've lived kind of a charmed life. I don't think so. The closest, <laughs> the closest oh shit moment I think was um, I had a colonoscopy and uh, yeah, it went fine. Uh, yeah. But you know, that's about it. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, I, I'm seeing you right now on this, but like you get like the way like you talk um, within like the little group of people that I know that you've talked with. You yeah. remind have you ever seen Generation Kill? No, uh, about the no, Marines when they when they went to Iraq uh, in like 2003. You remind me of the Rolling Stones um, reporter that was that was with them. Uh, <laughs> okay. So he he rode with them through like that part of their through their deployment, and he was just like this guy. Uh, obviously he didn't have any weapons or anything, but like he was hung out with all these dudes and he like wore Kevlar and like when they're taking fire, uh, he, he like ducks under and they're like, they're like, sir, they're like, get over here, get over, get over here. And he like, 
and he's like running back and forth between buildings. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like <laughs> serpentining like they told me to. Right. It kind of reminds me. It kind of, like, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome series to watch, by the way, it's on HBO. Okay. Um, I'll look it up. But you kind of remind me like, cause of the group of people, like, like, especially like when you talk with Dan, cause Dan's oh. got all these war stories <laughs> and you just, you just remind me of like that Rolling Stones reporter. Uh, but it's a, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic um, uh, series. So you should watch it and you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking oh. about. And if, if, like Macy or Dan hear this, they're gonna they're gonna laugh when they hear me say that. Yeah. All um, right. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like that role when I hear y'all sharing war stories and everything. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna switch a little bit to, to Cowboys talk here. Um, it's been it's been a full week uh, since the, the 2022 draft has ended, and you put you put into the metaverse that we were gonna uh, take Sam Williams like a month ago, and you just kept saying it, and you just kept saying it. Um, what was your initial thoughts on the entire draft immediately after day three was over and have your thoughts changed, uh, you know, seven days uh, later after you've watched a little tape on mm-hmm. these guys and more stuff comes out about them. Right. Well, immediately after is when I wrote my, my grades with to be published the next day and I didn't alter them. So I kind of used my first impression to, to stick it out there and I largely stand by it. Um, I think what I would change is I thought the Cowboys were reaching for the sake of need. So I thought that they had, we're getting a guard slotted for round one, no matter what. We're going to get Sam Williams in round two, no matter what. We'll get whatever receivers left over, no matter what. Knowing what I know now, they rated Tyler Smith higher and they weren't reaching for need. They would have gotten him anyway. So I was wrong there. Um, Sam Williams, I think, was a forced pick that they did early. Yeah. Um, because that's, like one of those, that's like one of those Vontae Mack, no matter what kind of yeah. kind of things, you know, at that time. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I, it, was, it was Quinn's guy. It was clear it was Quinn's guy. He was going to get him. Mm-hmm. And you knew Quinn had extra pull because he came back to Dallas again. Yep. Um, they're, they're promising him things. Um, so, but as a rule, I don't go back and, and change my draft grades because now I do this differently than a lot of other people. Um, I'm not grading the players. I'm grading the picks. And, and there's a difference there. I'm not saying this guy, this, this pick is a C plus Mm -hmm. because I don't think he's going to be good. He could be great. He could suck. That debate is up for the scouts. I'm not trying to be a scout. I'm trying to look at the value. I'm taking a business perspective on these picks and I'm looking at positional value. Is the position of high value? Does it add wins above replacement? Okay, the opportunity cost. Okay, you've drafted, let's say you drafted a fullback. Great, you just tanked positional value because fullbacks suck. Okay, now opportunity cost. Now, because you drafted a fullback in the first round and you needed an offensive tackle, you need to get an offensive tackle in the second round and you never find Pro Bowl offensive tackles in the second round. So you just had a horrible opportunity cost. Surplus value I look at. Surplus value is how much you're saving by having a guy on a rookie contract. Now, fullbacks that are veterans don't make much more than fullbacks who are drafted. So again, that's another notch. Um, And then finally, I take a look at the risk and run a risk reward analysis. Um, And that is what I'm ultimately grading. So when we grade somebody that's high risk at a low position, ignoring other positions that are also needed and of higher value and might be paid more, you know, I'm going to give a low score, even if I think that guy's a good player, even if I think he's going to be a star. Um, and that, that shoot, that goes all the way back to Michael Parsons. Um, Michael Parsons was the quintessential situation like that, where he just got annihilated. And it wasn't because people thought he sucked. It was because we, well, we misread the situation. We didn't, he had no idea it was going to be used as an edge rusher. We had no idea it was going to be rushing the passer that much. Yeah. Um, we, we got... I think we got the formula for me, the formula wrong because the different variables I set in there were all wrong. Um, and it didn't matter how good he was or anything like that. We're grading the pick, the process. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to your, you know, your, your, your position value thing. So taking Jake, Jake Ferguson was a fourth round pick, right? Yeah. He was a fourth round. Yeah. Pick. Um, so is he, is, is he a surplus? Uh, obviously because he adds on to Schultz, but do you think they could use him 
uh, as like a potential fullback uh, if they don't bring up Ralston like they're supposed to, since he would be probably your best blocking tight end, uh, use, him, use him something like that? Well, um, that kind of depends on what they do on the roster below that, right? Yeah. Um, so Sean McKeon, McEwen, McEwen, yeah. I think it's pronounced, yeah. Uh, he's a fantastic blocker. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how they're all going to slot, you know, when training camp's over. Um, I I thought it was absolutely imperative they got a tight end. Yes. Because, because you need somebody to replace Dalton Schultz next year. I don't want to hand Dalton Schultz a big giant contract. Yeah. Um, I, I want to make that a replaceable part until somebody really special comes along. Um, not to disparage Dalton, I think he's a better blocker than what he showed last year. And I don't think he's as bad as everybody's saying he is. He mm -hmm. was functional in a lot of ways. He prioritized shit. He yeah. knew he's got to catch balls. That's what he's got to focus on because that's what's going to get him paid. And it did. It worked. Yep. So he played it right. Um, now we need somebody to actually do the dirty work. And I think Ferguson, who is one of my macho guys listed, yep. um, he's happy to stick his nose in there. And all you have to do is stick your nose in there and you're going to be functional. Yeah, he's one of those, you know, obviously he's from Wisconsin and those guys love to run the ball in Wisconsin. So yep. that is, that's, a, that's a good pick for them. Uh, and like you said, uh, I'm a firm believer that Dalton made business decisions last year too. Yeah. It was kind of obvious. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> so the um, the listeners know that I've never been to a Cowboys football game. Uh -huh. um, what's your favorite Cowboys game that you've been to, and the most memorable moment of that game to you? All right. So I was I was ready for this question. I've but I'm like to this moment I'm wavering. <laughs> uh, my favorite Cowboys fan or my favorite Cowboy player was Deion Sanders. So it wasn't an exciting game or anything, but it was the last playoff game after the three titles they went in. I think they won the division eight and eight or something like that. And they played the Cardinals and Deion wasn't supposed to play. And everyone was whispering in old Texas stadium, like, is Deion going to be here? He's not in warmups. And then the team all came out to do the coin flip and they they're about ready to flip the coin all of a sudden stops and music goes and the light shifts over to the tunnel and Dion comes out of the tunnel dancing his dance and everyone even the refs just drop the or hold down the coin and everyone just watches him do his dance and prance onto the field and then they're like okay let's start now and then they know the game was atrocious after that but that was like a very big moment um, the, the best game, though, I know I'm cheating by giving you two, but oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> the best game was when T.O. came back to Texas Stadium. Um, I was there for for the rematch. Um, the Cowboys were hot trash. The 49ers, man, I think they were like 13 and three that season or something. It was a really good team. Um, that was T.O. and uh, led by women's rights champion Jeff Garcia. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, they, they were humming, but so everyone was just, everyone was just keying on T.O. Like we're just watching everyone's got an eye ready to take his head off. And the 49ers wanted to give him the ball, but he was just getting locked down. And the stadium was full of 49ers fans because again, the Cowboys sucked that year. So everyone yeah. hawked their tickets to 49ers fans and they were trash talking so much. And I was sitting there, my, my little, my little self, I was a high school kid and with my dad. And I'm getting in fights with the 49ers fans in front of us who are much bigger than me. Um, and then at the end of the day, we ended up winning against a much better football team. And just the walk out of the stadium, it was just, it was like we stole something. It, it was such a good feeling when you go to a game that you're not supposed to win and you walk out champions. That's why I tell everybody, you go to a game, don't go to a game that's going to be an easy win. Because the only thing that can happen is you can get disappointed. Yeah go to a game that you have no business being in and you might, you might feel good about defeat even if the game goes the right way, but you could steal it and really be happy. And that that's what happened at that moment. I feel like that's how I would, I would feel against like, if I ever went to a Philly game, <laughs> I would yeah. like just like destroy them. Like, I, I just feel like anytime, like a division rival game actually, but the, but um, the team I hate the most is the commanders. Like Philly's yeah. Philly's just like this annoying little brother, you know, you just knock away. But the like I would I would rejoice seeing Dallas just dismantle anything from the commanders. So that that would be that's like one of my ones that I want to go to. But yeah, 
here that's neither here or there that's that's a 16 hour trip for me um so besides at&t stadium what nfl stadium would you like to visit and why okay um i've only been to one other stadium which is arrowhead okay. um so the one that i would like to go to and why is lambeau field and that's not because of its nostalgia or beauty or anything like that it's because i freaking hate the packers and i hate packer fans yeah and I've got, you know, I went to school in Wisconsin, so I know a lot of Packer fans. I was yeah. around them. They're insufferable people. Um, my family is mostly Packer fans, extended and immediate. They're awful. They're insufferable people. <laughs> um, that, um, usually you, you end up despising the people that you have, the fans that you have to deal with the most. Yeah. Right. So like I, for the longest time, I never actually met a Giants fan. So I was completely indifferent to our rivals, the Giants. But as soon as I met my first New Yorker, I'm like, holy crap, you suck. I really hate you and your team. Yeah. You know, it changed everything. So Lambeau Field, I want to go to Lambeau Field. I want to boo them, cheer whoever's playing. I don't care. And then I want to be completely meh on their stadium in all conversations afterwards. All I want to do is be a hater and just say, eh, Lambeau Field kind of sucks. It's cold. It's outdoors. <laughs> You know, the bathrooms are cruddy. There's no concession. It's small. Like they invested all these millions of dollars. They should have put a dang roof on it. Why the heck do they not have a roof and they live in a terrible place? Yeah. You know, I, I just want to dog it. So it's it's 100% out of hatred that I want to go to Lambeau Field. Yeah, that's kind of like, cause like, you know, I live in Northwest Ohio. So I'm I'm around like a lot of Cleveland fans, Detroit fans, Yeah. but it, it, like the Detroit fans, it's like whatever. But Cleveland's been insufferable the past couple of years because yeah. they thought Baker Mayfield was like the next great thing. Um, but like the the thing, I think the reason why I hate Philly the most not not well, not Philly, sorry, the Commanders is because my roommate in the Marine Corps was a Washington Redskins fan, and like I mean, it was so that was 2000, 2010 to two thousand twelve when I got married and moved out. But it, that was insufferable, like yeah, all the time. And then like. Of the people that live next to us was a Giants fan because he was from Jersey and I was just like dog <laughs> so like not but yeah like the commanders I'm just I I hate them with every instant but I would never ever ever go to that stadium I'm no. telling you right now <laughs> never go to that stadium um because yeah, of their I, septic system yeah yeah <laughs> I, I feel like just walking into that place you're gonna get hurt but right. but like Lambeau Field uh, I, I'm on the same kind of the same thing with you with like Packers fans because they are like literally the most insufferable people. Yeah. And I think the only th the only fans that may be worse now are like Chiefs fans because they're like on this high rise, you know, of of superstardom. But yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that Bills fans are really trying to go from one of the best to one of the worst in no time. That yeah. is the most defensive fan fan group. If you say anything remotely other than everything is perfect, best all time, yeah, they get upset and they throw a hissy fit. Yeah. It's like the, you just, you just type the word Josh Allen and you have like 30,000. Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. <"Dog>, I'm just... <laughs> but I mean, that's, I mean, that's the way it is with like these, it seems like these, these fan bases that were like in purgatory for so long. Now they actually have like a guy uh -huh. and now all of a sudden it's like, like Cincinnati, you know, it's like, yeah. You know, Joe Burr's the great, <laughs> so <it's just> like, <laughs> whatever, man. Um, so Kellen Moore. Yeah. Here we go. Give us your thoughts on the young offensive mind. And do you think he has a major rebound or will he be placated to decisions from higher again? That's in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, this is a deep one. Um, I was a huge Kellen Moore fan for a long time. Um, it's so much that I believed that he was hiding plays and hiding strategies during the regular season mm -hmm. because we had basically from the what the midpoint of the season i believe the cowboys were like a 80 percent lock to make the playoffs or something even from the midpoint so i thought yeah. you know there's a chance that he's just holding these cool plays in the back pocket and all these strategies the smart strategies for the playoffs playoffs came and yeah we didn't we didn't do a lot of cool stuff um or even <laughs> smart stuff by that i mean uh, passing on early downs, using motion at the snap, you know, obvious, obvious wins that statistically are going to boost you. Um, we didn't do those things. Um, so I'm mixed on him because I believe to an extent that the front office 
was having him play the cowboy way and give the money to Zeke because that's what we're paying him for. But I don't think that that's 100% the problem. I don't think an, an untethered Kellen is necessarily going to fix all of the problems that we saw from Kellen. Um, I think uh, he's still going to run the ball too often on early downs. He was one of the biggest offenders, if not the biggest offender, on second and 10 calls. Mm-hmm. Um, second and 10 running the ball, which is statistically the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not like a dictate from above. Like you can throw the ball at the worst possible situation. If he looked at the numbers, he could see that. It's very easy to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the motion rate. He's never been, he's never been high on motion rate at the snap. Um, and it's easy money. It, it helps so much in, in EPA per play. Um, it doesn't even have to be directly influenced on the play. Like it can just be stuff going on over here. Um, just any kind of motion will get defenders back on their heels. Um, same way the play action works. Um, you don't need to establish the run for play action to work. A fake inherently causes defenders to react. It's, they're, they're not feeling the situation. They don't go, well, they're only averaging 3.2 yards per carry and they only have 42 yards on the game. So I don't really need to respect this. No, they're acting instinctually. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of things that, that I think we would see differently if he felt differently, even with the rules from above. With all of that said, I know it sounds like I just pooped on him. With all of that said, he's very smart. He is creative. He has trick plays, lots of trick. We, we saw some really neat trick plays mm-hmm. um, that were effective. And the things that killed the Cowboys last season were things that he couldn't fix. Um, the offensive line imploded. It yeah. was horrendous. Um, Dak had no time in the pocket. So we run the Air Coriel um, deep, deep routes right into their shells, which happens sometimes. It happens to be the best offense to run against these deep shells. Yep. But you need time for them to break free. And he was running for his life and no longer looking downfield before the receivers even broke their routes. It was, it was doomed from the start. Didn't help that Dak could barely move because his calf was worse than we were led to believe. So, and then we couldn't run the ball. We had negative, negative EPA and negative success rate through the whole second half of the season. So when Zeke got the ball, it did worse for the offense than they would have if they just would have not done anything. So I think that Kellen is super smart and I think that he is super capable and I think that he can work this out. I'm shocked that McCarthy did not help him problem solve last year. Seemed to be too far of a hands-off approach. I don't know how you can do that. I'm happy that he does have smart minds with him this offseason and into the next season um, that I think he can problem solve these kind of things. Um, and he's a rising, he's a rising mind. So he hasn't he hasn't been tapped like Jason Garrett, where Jason Garrett just became what Jason Garrett was yeah. once he stopped evolving. It was very evident. Um, Kellen hasn't hit that plateau yet. And I'll always be happy to invest in a smart, creative offensive mind. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's a definite win that we get to bring him back next year. Um, I would hate to start over with some old proven guy. Yeah. So do you, um, do you, I know they run different offenses, but do you think he can be cre- as creative and innovative uh, as he moves on as like, say like a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay? I don't think he'll ever be Kyle Shanahan because of his aversion to motion. Yeah. Um, Shanahan just lives and dies on that. It's, yeah. it's a thing of beauty, man. Yeah. I love watching that. And I hate running plays. Absolutely hate running plays, but he makes them tolerable. Um, but he can without a doubt be, be a McVay. Um, yeah. and, and McVay isn't even, for, again, from an analytics perspective, McVeigh isn't even perfect. He, he does very anti-scientific calls. Yeah. Where you're like, that was not smart. That was against all odds. Like when you start fighting the probabilities, that I guess that's my problem. Um, but I, I think he has a ceiling that's still through the roof. It's, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been stunted in my mind. Yeah, I think, I think for him to move to the next step, like you're talking about, 
I think he has to use, well, since he's healthy now, one almost like 100% of Dak's ability. Like, I mean, you have this, you have this quarterback who is very accurate downfield, but he's built like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Like, use, <laughs> use that. You know, like you said, use motion more, you know, uh, get Tony Pollard out. You're going to have, you know, you have uh, Tolbert now. Um, you know, I mean, he could be like your motion guy. CD can be, I mean, we saw CD do it in college. So why wouldn't he be able to do it in the NFL? You know, right. it's, it's just, it's like stuff like that. Like you said, like he needs to, he needs to kind of like graduate to the, to like the next thing to, to kind of help us out here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're going to see more of what we saw last year. Right. I mean, yeah. there's no reason for teams to play us differently. They're going to try to create pressure with the front four. They're going to drop everybody back in coverage and they're going to put shells over the top. And then, cause they want to crash down and stop routes. Yep. So, so we're going to see the same darn thing. So there's lots of time to prepare, lots of time to think of plans. So obviously things were different from like the first seven games. And like after the New England game, obviously there was Dak's injury. Uh, we found out more about Zeke and the offensive line. But do you see like did the, the defensive guys that were playing us? Uh, so they shifted as they shifted their scheme completely to the like, to like the, the way that they did the second half, were they not playing like that in the first half? Because I know the Chargers were playing like that because they forced yeah. us to run. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the Chargers played a straight up um, where, yeah, they they did not want to put any extra guys in the box. They wanted to drop back in coverage. Yeah. And then that's Staley's MO. Uh, it, it's, yeah. a smart, it's a smart strategy, um, even though you're giving up a bunch of stuff. Um, Cowboys ended up winning, right? But yep. it was a painful win. We were Dak was champing at the bit. He wanted to throw the ball. It was it was yep. a tough one. Um, but the biggest difference then was offensive line execution, right? So it, it all changed in the second half when we couldn't block anybody, yep. and it was across the board. Uh, I've said I've made the statement a few times. The only guy that was improving down the stretch was Tyler Biotish. Yep. Like everybody else was declining. Um, granted a declining Zach Martin is still all world, but, but still everybody, everybody was showing their mortality as the season went on. And I, I really couldn't make any sense of it. It was extremely frustrating watching yeah. each other struggle. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I, I'm kind of indifferent on the offensive line coach. I don't like, I really don't like Joe Philbin. I wish they had someone else. I wish somehow they could get Bill Callahan back, strip him away yeah. from Cleveland. I mean, that would be, I mean, that'd be great, but we know that's not happening. <laughs> right. So uh, this is the first time I've ever asked anybody to do this on this show. Cut your best 30-second WWE-style promo for the audience on why Tyler Smith is going to be great. Okay, so I've got to fess up. I don't know what a WWE-style promo is. Um <laughs> I know, I know. I'm totally alienating. Okay, so I'm no, you're just, good. You're good. I'm gonna, you're good. I'm gonna throw it all out there. I don't. I don't watch wrestling. I don't watch. I, I don't watch MMA. Um, I don't watch superhero movies. Um, there, there's yeah. There's so many gaps in my coverage. Um, I'm like the idiot savant who just like picks certain things to pay attention to in life and then just completely disregards half of society. Um, so I, I really have no idea. Um, I can make the case for Tyler Smith. Yeah, yeah, just do go ahead and do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he comes with a lot of risk because of, you know, obviously he's he's making the leap from Tulsa to the Dallas Cowboys, right? Yep. So that that's a little that's a little scary. He's extremely strong. The Cowboys coaching staff, and I do believe other reports that other coaching staffs had him higher than media scouts did. So I don't think it was a complete stretch. I think he is a highly regarded prospect with a very high ceiling. Tyron Smith, no, that's not a fair comparison. I see that too often. He came in very polished and, and yeah, th- there's no comparison there. But Tyler Smith has the, the tangibles and the intangibles to be an elite guard and offensive tackle. And that's where it's really going to pay off as an offensive tackle. So I think playing next to Tyron Smith is really going to do him a lot of a lot of good. Um, I, he's going to struggle. He's going to have two bad plays for every one good play, and fans are going to frustrate us because they're going to focus on the one where he bulldozed a guy, not the three holding calls and the whiffed block somewhere else. But yeah. that's okay. Those are those are growing pains. Um, but I think he is going to pay off because I think he is going to be um, 
a good offensive tackle for us down the road. That, that gives me, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of hope that, but you know, like you just said, like the, the holding penalties, you know, he was the most penalized player in college yeah. football. Uh, that kind of scares me because we just got rid of Connor Williams, you know, yeah. the most penalized guy in the NFL. So, I mean, and they're playing the same position now. So that kind of scares me, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this uh, Duke many is, is out there helping him. Yeah. Uh, helping him out a little bit. So I'm just saying, I just hope that that guy shows up on a, you know, the Cowboys offensive staff, but I doubt that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's whatever. So last two questions. Uh, I know you got it. You got stuff to do. Um, who are your top three underrated Twitter follows for people to follow? Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Donnell Kearney and StatSpot. Yes. NFL StatSpot is very underrated and extremely fun to play with. Um, you can, you can send messages to that and get really neat numbers back. And then Donnell Kearney is with me at Sport DFW and he is a, a fun style of writer. He's a comedian, a stand-up comedian, and he's even done independent movies. Um, so he's he's fun. I'll be sure to send the links for you. Okay. Um, and then um, Adithia is a writer of Sport DFW back in the day. Um, let's see, he quit this winter um, to focus on his his uh, college college career. I think he's writing for the paper or something like that. He couldn't have a, a conflict of interest. Um, but he does deep dives into, into players and he'll do it throughout the season. Even though he's not writing for us, he's still going to be dropping that stuff or he'll show film reviews and break it down. Um, so all three of those, they shouldn't really be linked in the same circles um, because a lot of the people that other people that I would recommend were all people that I got all my followers from. And they're dragging me along, so I don't really want to drop, drop you know, Dan Ripper's name. Or <laughs> yeah, I actually so. followed that NFL stat bot, and it's like crazy because sometimes I feel like retweeting it because it's just like cornerback, you know, from 2004 had zero blocks or something like that. I'm right? Like, Dog, I, <laughs> do you do? <laughs> it's stuff like that. Like our defensive end had zero field goals in 2003. I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna just start retweeting these things. Right. <laughs> ridiculous but you can actually go to it with legitimate requests yeah yeah i've, I've done it before right yeah just yeah. To, just to see yeah i think i, I like to google how, how to do it but is that connect is that connected to like the that uh what's it what's that website the analytics website the r rbdm or whatever you know what I'm, you know what website I'm talking uh, yeah about? i know what you're talking about i don't know who it's affiliated through okay i'm not okay. sure so last question mm-hmm. what is your favorite cut of meat and sides to accompany it okay um a little bit of clarity can i pick the sides like out of anything yep you can do whatever like you want i could make like my like death you're row. making you're, you're requesting your last meal because you're on death okay. row yes you go. okay is this south carolina where they're going to shoot me because they can't get the drug or you hear about that no oh south <laughs> carolina they couldn't get the i'm going off track they couldn't get the uh the lethal injection drug right okay. so they passed it where you, they could bring back the electric chair or a firing squad. Ooh. And there's a guy slated. He picked of the two, he picked a firing squad. Oh man. So, like next month it's going to happen. Apparently ridiculous. Wow. Right? <laughs> okay. So I'm that guy. I'm about to get shot. My last meal, I'm going to go a two inch thick aged prime rib or aged, aged ribeye prime cut. And for the side, I'm going to reverse sear it. So I'm going to slow cook it with mesquite. Okay. Bring in the smoke and the flavor, and then I'm going to sear it. And then I'm going to serve it with a bowl of Wisconsin beer cheese soup, because even though I hate Wisconsin football, there's certain culinary delights that I love from that state. And yeah. beer cheese soup is fantastic. So I'm going to have a beer cheese soup next to it. And then I'm going to do a salmon tartare with a pineapple relish on top. Um, just the right amount of acidity, right? To break up all this other heaviness. That's my meal. Beer cheese soup, man. That's there. There you go. It's money. It's money. <laughs> that, that's speaking to me. Yes. Like, like the state fairs. I'm like, where's the Wisconsin fried cheese? You know. Yeah. You bite into it and it squeaks in your mouth. Yeah. You can't. You can't beat that. 
Right. And when you explain that, when you try telling people that, yeah. like squeaky cheese, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, yeah. if you know, you know, like, yeah. you got to experience this. Yep. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's a weird thing when you do it for the first time, you're like, man, this is good. Mm-hmm. All right. But Hey man, uh, tell us again where we can find you on Twitter, podcast, radio, writing, whatever you want to tell us. Yeah. Uh, I'm at sportdfw.com. Um, great team of writers. Um, if it's not my stuff, it's somebody else's and I endorse it all. Um, and then you can hit me at, at Reed, R-E-I-D, D, Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N. That's all it. Right. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I'm going to let you go. You have a great weekend. Um, have a good Mother's Day weekend. You doing anything special? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm cooking paella for the first time. You're cooking what? Paella. I have no idea what that is. It's like seafood in a rice dish. Um, Uh, The the wife requested it. I'm doing it. No, that's that's beyond me. What about you? What you got going on on Sunday? Uh, so Sunday we're getting our kids dedicated. Um, Oh yeah. That's all I know we're doing so far. Um, Okay. The the church is doing like a Mother's Day breakfast. Um, so we're doing that first thing in the morning, and then they're getting dedicated, and then I don't know what we're doing after that. It's just I know tomorrow night she's going out with her friends for like one of their birthdays, and I got the kids. So okay, good little relief for her. So yeah, Yeah. it's gonna be fun. But yeah, man, I hope you have a good Mother's Day weekend. Um, hope you know I hope everything goes well for you. Uh, but stay in touch if you ever need any help with anything. Don't be afraid to reach out. You know where to find me at Crypto Goes Too. Um, and go Cowboys. All right, go Cowboys. Thanks, man. Thank you.